All right, here we go with Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Good morning, Keith. Happy Monday. Happy Monday to you. Okay, we talked uh, earlier on the show about the the health care crunch in small town B.C., shortage of doctors, emergency room shutting down, scaling back their hours. There's that one doc in Port Hardy. He's yeah. been very outspoken, Dr. Alex Nateros. Had him on again this morning. Mm-hmm. He's saying he's got, no, he got some action from the government last week. Mm-hmm. You know, Adrian Dix did stand up and put, put some money on the table to, to improve the thing, improve things. He doesn't think it's, it's going to work though. He still wants to be able to hire a physician assistant, which are not allowed, who are not allowed to practice in BC right now. Why yeah, not? we canvassed, uh, that issue with Health Minister Adrian Dix last week at the news conference where he announced this, uh, new measures for Northern Vancouver Island. Didn't close the door on physician assistants being employed in BC his sort of counter argument was there wasn't they're not trained in BC they're not trained in, in BC medical schools uh, they work for the military um, and he says there's just not a lot of them but I think you had a guest on that points out there's at least a couple in BC that could be put to work but um, it doesn't seem to be enough of physician assistants at the moment to make much of a dent yeah. In the uh, in the system, Dick said the government's priority is on foreign trained doctors, getting yeah. them into the system. Yeah. There's a lot. Of, there's much more of them in BC. These are people who've got medical degrees from other countries, but can't get into the system. Uh, more than uh, f- uh, physician assistants, who right now I think the number we receive was like six or seven in BC. Mm. Well, I spoke to Lisa Stewart, who is the BC director mm-hmm. of their their professional association of uh, physician assistants in Canada. And she said, she's a physician assistant. She lives in BC. She's ready to work. Let me work. I want to work. She said they've done surveys of their members and said a large percentage of them expressed interest in moving to British Columbia. Well, given the human resource crunch in healthcare, I wouldn't be surprised if they will be allowed to work at some point in BC. I think um, the argument can be made that, you know, we've never had a human resource crisis like we have right now in healthcare for a number of reasons, yeah. either just a lot of illness on, we've got 15,000, 16,000 healthcare workers reporting sick at least one shift a week, which is about double pre-pandemic levels. You've got a lot of retirements because of the boomer generation is retiring in great numbers and people aren't filling the spots quickly enough. So I wouldn't be surprised if uh, physician assistants do become employed in bc in a in a short term okay i had brad west on the show the mayor of port coquitlam he's the chair of the TransLink mayor's council now we talked about the 10-year plan for transit in metro vancouver top of the list doubling the bus service throughout the region he said this gives you the best bang for the buck you get the Mm -hmm. most service put buses on the road it's kind of uh i find it kind of refreshing to hear him say that because it seems to me like you know there's always kind of let's go for the fancy stuff let's do SkyTrain. let's do Let's do a gondola to to SFU. Like you know, this guy's saying like, let's just get some more buses rolling. Well, here, buses you know? buses carry a lot more people than just one transit line. Yeah. Not everyone can ride the SkyTrain. Yeah. You know, not everyone lives near a SkyTrain station. Most people don't. So more buses are good news. What's interesting though is the, the classic: who funds this stuff? Yeah. So mayors are great at coming up with ambitious plans to expand things, but when it comes to paid. It for it, uh, they usually look to f- other levels of government to pay for it, provincial and federal. No one wants to grapple the hard questions of of issues such as road pricing, which they talk about. No one wants to go there first. No one wants to put a toll on a road or a bridge. 
uh, because they think they got spanked at the at the ballot box come sure. the next election. No one wants to talk about parking taxes or other revenue streams, which vehicle lot, levies, vehicle levies, which yeah. a lot of other you know Europe, for example, a lot of municipal. That's how they fund their transit is through all sorts of fees and levies. And right now, mayors in in Metro Vancouver, or indeed Canada, just don't like to go there. Yeah, they don't want to take the political heat for doing it. So Brad West talked to me a little bit about that. He pointed out that in the past, we've had politicians who've been afraid. They don't want to inflict these taxes and get the backlash to it. And the system has suffered as a result. Here's what he had to say to me. Because we've never really had anyone bite the bullet, uh, our, our system has declined you know the track record is that we have seen the SkyTrain extension you know maybe once every decade um it's just simply not good enough yeah and he pointed out that the population of the region is set to con- keep growing rapidly well it's going to grow just because it, it continues to grow but remember the federal government announced half a million immigrants yeah record record number of immigrants so that's, that's more than fifty thousand new immigrants to bc uh um big chunk of those people will locate in Metro Vancouver because that's where most of the uh, housing is. So yeah. there's going to be a big population swell in Metro Vancouver. So demand on transit services is going to be huge. Uh, now there's a new SkyTrain extension, but again, that doesn't serve a lot of people just because it goes into Surrey. It doesn't do you much good if you live in North Vancouver. So it's uh, there's a lot going to be a lot of pressure on the system. This is a $20 billion plan that the mm-hmm. mayors have laid out here. And he made the case, as you just said, not surprisingly, we want the feds to come to the table. We want yeah. the provincial government to step up. Okay, we don't want to take the heat ourselves for inflicting taxes on people. We want these other levels of government to do it. How likely is it that you will see the feds in the province here come up and rapidly expand spending on public transit? Well, you're gonna, it's more likely to see the province step up with some money because it's in whatever party's interest to do that because there's so many, this is where the elections won and lost is in Metro Vancouver in the suburbs. And, and so an issue like transit is a huge issue. I mean, you go back to the, 19th, the 2017 election when the NDP famously said, we're going to get rid of the tolls. On the on the Fraser bridges and poof, a bunch of ridings went their way and out of the liberal yeah. grasp. And I think a lot of politicians look at that as a lesson of how you've got to be careful. Public policy may say yeah, it makes sense to put tolls and road pricing on yeah. places. P- politics, though, serves a different lesson as we saw in 2017. So I think that's a big a big holdback to see some of these creative solutions. And in terms of the federal government, we're not Montreal. I'm sorry. Uh, the feds are much more interested traditionally, whether it's conservatives or liberals, to put more money in uh, Quebec largesse than Western largesse. Why is that? Well, I think traditionally that's been where the political interests lie. Yeah. You know, you can win elections by winning Quebec, yeah. and currying favor in Quebec has been a part and parcel of the success of the of the liberals and the conservatives for decades. Let's talk about decriminalization of drug possession, which kicks in tomorrow in British Columbia. So this is something that B.C. asked for. The federal government said, "Okay, we're going to allow this. It will be an exemption of um, from the criminal code for drug possession. Two point five grams of four types of drugs can be legally possessed in British Columbia. As of age 18 and over by 18 and over. So you have to be an adult as of tomorrow including cocaine, crack, that includes crack cocaine and powdered cocaine, methamphetamine, MDMA, ecstasy, and opioids, including heroin and fentanyl. So you'd be allowed to possess 
up to 2.5 grams of these drugs, and you would not face any kind of criminal yeah. charge if so, you were caught with them. It's not and legalization. Police, and, police will, and police will also not take the drugs away from you. That's right. So it's not legalization, but it's right. decriminalization, which is there is a difference there. But it's a small amount. Some proponents say the amount should be even larger than that, uh, that it's not going to... Well, one of the people who says that is Kennedy Stewart, mm-hmm. the, uh, the the former mayor of Vancouver, just wrote a book about decriminalization, yeah. and he said, look, I, I think the, the amount you should be able to possess should be even larger than 2.5 grams. Let's have a listen to what he had to say on that. I do agree with, with drug users that and, and advocates that thresholds have to be higher, but then there's the choice of doing nothing or, or trying to get the best deal you can, and that's what I think we've achieved. Okay, so he says this is going in the right direction. Some people think it doesn't go far enough, and Mm -hmm. others say it goes too far, that it won't solve anything, and maybe it makes the situation worse. The debate will continue. I've always been interested in the position of an organization called LEAP in the state, which is Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, which are drug officers, uh, federal, current and former um, narcs, basically saying prohibition doesn't work. You have to have uh, decriminalization as part of the equation. So as this experiment begins tomorrow, we'll see. I mean, we get the monthly uh, data from the coroner about the opioid deaths and cases. So we'll see if those numbers start to go down. Uh, subsequent, I don't think it, I don't think they will. I don't think sadly, it will no, I because think one of the reasons I think that this is it's a poison drug supply out there. Yeah. I don't think this is going to make a whole lot of difference because if you talk to Vancouver Police Department, for example, they will tell you that, well, look, we don't we don't arrest people for small amounts of possession now. Anyways, like yeah. we stopped doing that years ago. Yeah. Now, some people will argue that's not true and that pe- some people have been charged with possession of small amounts of drug. The other argument you get is, well, okay, police might not arrest you or charge you for possession of, of drugs, but they'll take your drugs away from you. They'll yeah. confiscate it. And under this system, they're supposed to, if you're caught with... 2.5 grams or less, they're supposed to let you keep the drugs, okay? So this is the idea that, you know, there's this argument that they want to destigmatize yeah. drug use. Destigmatize drug use. One of the other parts of the debate here is how can you find a safe drug supply? So Well, that's the other part that, of the equation. The drug supply, the supply chain, there's a lot of poison drugs in that system that drug users are using and decriminalization doesn't necessarily well that gets into that. safe supply right yeah. should there be a, a so-called quote-unquote safe supply of these drugs that are lab tested they're kind of pharmaceutical and grade that, that is the push that a lot of po- politicians and and advocates are pushing for it's baldry's beat let's go right to your phone calls here rick and port moody hi rick go ahead Hey, gentlemen, thanks for taking my call. You know what, the, uh, this um, decriminalization of, of, of drugs, I'm, I'm not opposed to it. I don't like it. If, I'm opposed, if I had a chance to vote, I'd say no. But I'm, I'm not opposed to it so long as it's part of something. Just to say we're doing it, it it's really not fixing any problem. They, you know, they're, re- they're really not looking at the, at the bigger picture. They need to, if they want to get rid of homelessness, they want to help people. They have to do something, you know, A, build the facilities, get them ready to, to handle people, but then outlaw, make it completely illegal to be living on the street. So homelessness is illegal. You can't live on the street. You, cut, you gather the people up, you put them in, into the facilities for 14 days, it's a minimum hold or something, and then you assess them where they are. Do, are they, do they have mental issues? Do they have um, drug issues? Are, are they just really homeless people that are looking for a break because they need a job and they're, you know, they're out on their luck? Figure it out. Slot the people into place. Work it as part of a, of a big program. But just doing this, saying, oh, we're just going to decriminalize it, you know, it's not going to fix anything. And it's just, um, you know, it's something that will make Kennedy Stewart feel good to a degree because he's not happy that it's not big enough. But uh, it, it's not doing anything. Okay. Uh, 
Okay, thank you for the call. Well, Here's a lot one. of critics say this is a halfway measure, that yeah. the real issue is safe supply of drugs, uh, that just allowing people to keep poison drugs isn't necessarily going to answer. Your point about homelessness and f- ending homelessness, interesting court judgment in Ontario just recently, I think on Friday, ruled that as, um, they, the homeless camp had a constitutional right to exist, that the city did not have the authority, I think it was in Kitchener, if I'm not mistaken, to... Arbitrarily dismantle it. That there was constitutional protection. It'll be interesting if that court case stands. Yeah, I mean the other the other side of of what what's known largely as harm reduction on uh, Mm -hmm. on drug addiction is the other side of the coin is treatment and detox and recovery. And I think you will you could also argue that a lot of the stuff we're doing right now is maybe helpful to some degree, but. What about getting people off of drugs? Like, what about putting, you know, a massive, a massive public expenditure into treatment beds? That is super expensive, by the way. Super expensive and also uh, voluntary at the yeah. moment. Yeah. And there's a lot of people who just won't volunteer themselves to go into treatment. Jim and Langley. Hi, Jim. Go ahead. Yeah, I'd like to see us go back to some sort of a, like a jitney taxi system that we had back in Vancouver around and Victoria around 1915 before the... Uh, BC Electric shut them down because they didn't want the competition. It was a private system, privately funded, private vehicles that ran around. You're talking about a private private transit system? A private, yeah, like a jitney taxi where people own the the cars. The the systems like there are today in Jamaica, it works extremely well, even in screwed up countries. And it's just a a tremendous system, but you have to... Don't we got Uber? We got Uber, don't we? Yeah, Uber could do it. But we don't really need to let the revenue go to some big foreign country. Uber eventually will force it through. But there's too much competition from all the powers that be. The taxis right now, even Uber would be against it. Well, we're not. Oh, okay. Car okay. dealers would be against it. It's just, we're you know, back to it will work. It eventually <laughs> okay, will get yeah. there. But thank, you for, the, thank well. you for the call. Thank no, you for the call. It's a non Public transit is here to stay. We're not privatizing I mean, there public are, transit. There have been some cities that have done some inventive stuff. You're working with Uber or private sector. Oh, sure. Just sort of, yeah, you know. partner with that. But it's not, you're not going to replace BC Transit or the Mayor's Council and tra- or TransLink when it comes to providing uh, public transportation. Rob in Chilliwack. Rob, you have 30 seconds here. Okay, thanks. Thanks, Mike. Hey, I just want to know, hey, Keith, I got a question for you. Why is it that the NDP, why are they so, they have no, they have no idea in terms of trying something different in terms of health care. I mean, look at Ontario. They're giving it a shot. Uh, Doug Ford with that. I mean, he even said, you, you will not be bringing your credit card. But the NDP... They, have, they just don't want to try anything different. My great-uncle Woodrow Lloyd, he'd be rolling over his grave hearing me say that about pri- private enterprise. But if you don't have to, if the government's still paying for it, what's the difference? I mean, Dick's surely did so that. So you allow, allow more business. private options. Yeah. Well, I think what Rob's talking about, okay. what Ontario is, is farming out surgeries to private clinics. Yeah. Uh, and the government's still covering them. That does happen in B.C., sure, yeah. but on a much more limited basis compared to Alber- what Alberta and Ontario are proposing to do. 